Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. And I don't know what kind of person you are. We usually describe ourselves as either a half-full cup or a half-empty cup. But I chose today to approach this topic uh, from the half-full cup. In other words, as you'll see as we develop the ideas, I want to uh, connect back with a passage of Scripture that we've been discussing, not only Shabbat Tov, we mentioned here on Shabbat morning, comes out of the Torah, the Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verse 5, and connect with that and then bring forward to us uh, what I think are some, some thoughts that, that could, could be very interesting for us, some thoughts about Scripture and about how God interacts with people that might be not only interesting but helpful for us. In Shefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, I have heard, the Hebrew word is Shemati, I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered the Hebrews of Eskor, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, right away, that's a fairly simple and a common verse. And the idea, I've mentioned it here on Shabbat. We will talk about it probably in Shabbaton today, as Kevin does Shabbaton, or something similar. The idea is simple. It basically says, the Lord heard the groaning of the children of Israel. And it says, it, 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 it attaches another verb to the Lord. It says, Ve'eskor, and, he, and I, I have remembered my covenant. Now, though there's much to say about this verse, there's one thing for sure that I want to point out. And this is a key idea here this morning. This is where the half-full cup comes in. A key idea here is that the plight the plight of the children of Israel at that time under Egyptian bondage, the plight of the children of Israel while they're in Egypt, I'm going to say in the vernacular sense, that plight, the plight of the children of Israel, got God's attention. Got God's attention. Now, you know, there are many things that can get God's attention, and on the negative side, there are some bad things that can get God's attention. I mean, we think of what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. We think about what happened in the days of Noah. We think about those type of things we th and, and other, other things that arise that we read about in Scripture that got God's attention, but really it was through something that wasn't so good. And I want to emphasize today getting God's attention and, and, and offer us today some ideas from the Scripture of good things that get God's attention. And as I began preparing for this and felt led in this direction, as I was preparing, I realized that this could be a long, long message, but it's not going to be. 
There are so many things that Scripture points out gets God attention, gets God's attention in a positive way. Even as there are many things that Scripture points out gets God's attention in a negative way. But Israel's cry for help, Exodus 6-5 is one example of quite a few scriptures that mention this. Israel's cry for help while under Egyptian bondage really was not the, it's not the only, the only action that scripture depicts as getting God's attention. There are many other passages of Scripture, again, to emphasize this key idea, many other passages of Scripture, many other examples within Scripture where God's attention is grabbed. He gets, he, God gives his attention in a positive way, and I want to emphasize the positive, and I want to share, first of all, five positive biblical actions that will get God's attention according to his word. And there are many, but I was thinking, which are the, maybe the five that have great impact upon us? If we really will do these things, it will impact us in a positive way. For example, just to explain a little better what I'm trying to say, we garner God's attention, number one, by acknowledging Him in our daily lives. Many passages of scriptures point this out, but I'll, I'll just camp for a minute on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. What does that say? Some of you know it by heart. It says this. It's connected usually with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding is Proverbs 3, verse 5. But then there's Proverbs 3, verse 6, which says, in all your ways acknowledge him. And then the clause that's attached to that, the very next phrase in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 says this. It's his positive response to acknowledging him in all our ways and really trusting him as well. In all your ways acknowledge him. And then it says this about God, and he shall direct your paths. There is a divine positive response there. When we acknowledge him in all our ways. Now, recently, actually it was yesterday, I was reading a blurb by a sports writer for the Oklahoman. How many are familiar with the Oklahoma? I hope so. It's here. It's a, the local newspaper, the Oklahoma. It was online, an online edition that I was reading. And a sports writer for the Oklahoman wrote this yesterday uh, online, online edition, about the outpouring of love and prayer for National Football League player Damar Hamlin. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's been all over the news. Actually, it's quite touching what has happened. But the sports writer now is a little bit past the Damar Hamlin is doing much better. Baruch Hashem, praise God he is. But the sports writer makes a comment. There it is in the sports page. Makes the comment. She makes this comment. And she says, quote, prayer does many things. How many agree with her? <laughs> Good theology, huh? Good that sports writers had some theology going there. Prayer does many things. It isn't just for approaching God with our pleas. It changes us and our direction, moving us into the strong arms of the one who is always merciful and present in our time of need, end quote. 
Now that's a sports writer, huh? <laughs> I love what she said. She said, prayer does, I'm going to read again, prayer does many things. It isn't just for approaching God with our pleas. It changes us and our direction, moving us into the strong arms of the one who is always merciful and present in our time of need. You know, as we look to him, as we acknowledge him in all our ways, he does direct our paths. Aren't you glad for that today? He will direct your path. And as we look to him, we can say this way, he looks after us. He's the good shepherd that tends his sheep. Blessed be his name. So, one thing that garners God's attention, number one, is acknowledging him in our daily lives. Or as Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, in all our ways. Here's a second thing that also garners God's attention according to the word of God. Number two, by seeking him, next word's key, wholeheartedly. Seeking him wholeheartedly. Now, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, many of you can quote this. It says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. All your heart. And God sees when we seek him wholeheartedly, when we really apply our heart to him and seek his face, deep inside with kavanah, with intention, as Carl mentioned about the liturgy, there's something, but he says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart, and in contradistinction in the book of Yaakov, James chapter 1, verse 8, it warns us, and it tells us, quote, a double-minded person is unstable in all of his or her ways. So on one hand, Jeremiah talks about seeking God with a whole heart, with all our heart, and James warns against being double-minded. A double-minded person is unstable in how many ways? All. So there's the use of the word all in both passages of Scripture with two very distinct differences, Uh, you know, two differences there. Here's a third thing that garners God's attention. Number three, we garner God's attention according to the Word of God by repenting of our wayward ways. (laughs) Now, I know for some, the word repentance isn't in vogue, (laughs) but it's always in vogue in Scripture. It's always in vogue in the Spirit. And when the person realizes, hey, the way I'm going, the way I'm talking, the way I'm acting, what, what I'm doing isn't right in the sight of God, repentance goes a long way. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord and His grace and mercy goes a long way. In Yeshayahu, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, and there are scads of passages about this. But let me choose this one. Isaiah 55, verse 7. It says this, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And then there's the divine response on a positive level. It says, And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
So you see, repenting of wayward ways seems to get God's attention. In many of our lives, that's exactly what has happened. We repented from going another direction in our life. We repented of our wickedness. And in fact, we may still be in the processes of, of offloading and ejecting some of this stuff from our life. Let the wicked forsake his way. And it says, he will have mercy on him. He will abundantly pardon. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, one of the most well-known passages that ascribes to this, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Here's a positive divine response connected to doing that. It says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive them their sin and heal their land. There are things that we can do that will grant a divine response that's positive in our life, will impact us in a positive way. Here's a fourth one of five. We garner God's attention by faithfully and fully tithing. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 is an amazing verse. Some don't like it, but others do. Malachi 3 verse 10 says this, and notice again. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, would you call that a divine positive response? I would. It's unique language in the Bible. I'll open for you the windows of heaven. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and it gets even more, it says it's a great divine response. It says, and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. It's all predicated upon bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. You know, if we shortchange the Lord in tithes and offerings and that type of thing, in essence, we are shortchanging ourselves from the many blessings that he wants to lavish upon us, financial blessings. Yeshua said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He told us there, he said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Let me read that again. These are the words of our Messiah. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, sadly, we often think that our financial wisdom and ways are superior to God's, and we do our own thing in that. But God especially notices it. He especially notices these four things. And I want to give a fifth one. 
He, he mentions these four attention getters that I've just mentioned. You can make a list on your own through Scripture of the very things that get his attention in a positive way. And granted, as I've mentioned from the beginning of this message, there are things that get his attention in a negative way. But acknowledging him, seeking him with all our heart, repenting, faithfully tithing, these things get a divine positive response. Now, there's a fifth one. The fifth thing that always garners God's attention. The fifth thing is this, loving God. I know that's just two simple words, loving God. That always gets his attention when a person loves him. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, it says, if anyone loves God. That means the door is open to who? Everyone. If anyone loves God, it says this, this one is known by him. This one is known by him. And that's a very positive thing to be known of the Lord. The new covenant affirms exactly what Torah proposes. As we read through the Torah, it affirms exactly what Torah proposes, that we are to love God. And as we do, he interacts with our lives. We know also, as was mentioned in the liturgy, and as Yeshua stated, that as we love God, we also are to love our neighbor. Yeshua said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple if you have love one for another. So God is ever attentive to his people. Please hear this. He's ever attentive to his people. You know he responds to us. Has he ever responded to you in your time of need? He responds to us. He notices our words and deeds. I know sometimes, have you ever had a slip of the tongue where the wrong word came out? <laughs> he notices that. And when that happens, when the wrong word comes I hope something comes upon you and you repent of that. And you say, I don't want to say the wrong things. We're supposed to use our tongue, our speech to edify and build up one another in the Lord, encourage one another. But he responds to us, the Lord does. Blessed be his name that he even cares. What's, what is man that you are mindful of him, O Lord? But he responds to us. He notices our words and deeds. He sees our kindness. He sees our generosity. He recognizes even the very inner attitudes of what the old English language, the old English used to call the conversation of the heart. I like that term. The conversation of the heart, that inner attitude. He notices all that. And he especially notices, for some reason, he especially notices when it is his love poured out in our hearts by his spirit, when it's his love that's motivating us, constraining us at times, and inspiring us at times so that we might serve him and his people in a more dynamic way. He notices this. He tells us to not be weary in well-doing. He says, in due season, you will reap. Now, recently, while facilitating a Shabbaton discussion, which we have today, and our elder Kevin will be leading that today, a Shabbaton discussion, I asked the attendees of that class, of that discussion, I asked them a simple question. I asked them which passage of Scripture most challenges them. 
Now, there are thousands of verses in the Bible. But the question was, which passage of Scripture most challenges you? That was the question. And there were several terrific answers. You would recognize some of these terms. For example, one person mentioned the ve'ahavta, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what we say further from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5 and forward. Another person mentioned the golden rule. Do as unto others as you would have them do unto you. As the most challenging concept and idea to him. And another person mentioned a section of the Lord's Prayer. It was the section on forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And they mentioned that as the most challenging thing of forgiving. But there was one person in the class who really doesn't say a whole lot, by the way, doesn't really seek a whole lot of attention during the class when he's there, and he raised his hand, and I noticed that right away. He raised his hand, and he gave this nine-word response to the question, which verse most challenges you? In Scripture, he gave this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. And again, notice the word all. Let all that you do be done with love. Are there others here in this synagogue that do see that as a challenge too at times, that everything you would do would be done in the love of God? And he mentioned that passage. And, you know, I agreed with that answer because trying to do all that we would do in life, trying to do all that we would do in accordance with the love of God is definitely a challenge. It's a little easier when we're doing such things with people that love us in return. It becomes more of a challenge when it's people that don't necessarily think we're the, you know, the greatest thing to slice bread. And plus, our flesh causes problems at times. At least mine does. Maybe yours doesn't. But at times, our flesh causes trouble. It rises up. And then the enemy tries to build a stronghold there through repetitive sin to build a stronghold in our lives. And all that works together here when you think about it. The enemy is trying to do all those things. Our flesh is rising up. We're challenged by certain circumstances, and sometimes it's certain people in our lives. Have you ever had a challenging person in your life? Have you ever had someone that when you saw them, you went, oy vey, they're coming near me? I hope not. Maybe you've never gone through that. But all these things can hinder, can hinder potentially the work of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in and through our lives. You know, we should acknowledge God in all our ways. How many agree with that? We should acknowledge God in all our ways. We should show our love for Him by seeking Him, not with part of our heart, but with all our heart, as Jeremiah said. First, First John chapter 2, verse 17 says, the world is passing away and the lust of it. And then it makes this statement, but he who does what? The will of God abides how long? Forever. It sure seems like that word and many other passages connected to it. 
that word's exhorting us to make the doing the will of God a focus in our life. And that is yet another thing that gets God's attention when we obey his will, obedience. You know, we should repent of our wayward ways. Repentance is a way of life for us. We're growing and we're learning, and learning sometimes means uh, turning away from things. Learning. Because we want to do what pleases the Lord. So we repent of wayward ways, ways that aren't pleasing to him, ways that get his attention in the wrong manner. We, we turn from those things. And we should fully tie. That should be a, a no-brainer for us. The blessing that comes to us through that is amazing. He said, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll open the windows of heaven. <laughs> you won't be able to contain the blessing. And just returning 10% of all that our increase to the Lord is really a small thing because when you do the math, that means 90% is there. We should love God for who he is, for his blameless nature, his covenant-keeping love, his heart of forgiveness. Do you know he has a heart of forgiveness towards you? His heart of forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, and all the good things associated with our loving Heavenly Father, as James chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us and says, every good gift. How many? Every good gift and perfect, every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, friends, I want to do a little bit of a curveball here to get to what I really want to talk about. <laughs> now, I've spoken briefly on a vast subject about some of the good things Scripture says we can do that will get Adonai's attention. Now I want to pose this simple question as we draw to a conclusion here today. I want to pose to us this simple question. Here's the question. Listen carefully, please. Question is this. What does the Lord have to do to get our attention? What does the Lord have to do to get our attention? I do believe there's an individual side of answer to that. There are certain things that get one person's attention and, and maybe not so much the others. For some, they can open a passage, a, a passage from Scripture and immediately speaks to them. For others, it may not quite so quickly. For some, they're in adverse circumstances and they, that gets their attention. For others, they don't even notice. Others can have someone talk to them and they get it and they hear it. And others, the same person may talk and they don't get it and they don't hear it. You see, God trying to get mankind's attention is a major plot line of the Scripture. God trying to get mankind's attention. It's all through Scripture. In several places, in fact, in Scripture, God states directly, he states directly how he tried to get his people to pay attention to him, his word, and his ways. For example, historically, as King Nebuchadnezzar was about to completely swallow up Jerusalem, Jerusalem, completely vanquish our eternal capital, Jerusalem, 
the people really didn't hear the Lord during that time. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, in the descriptive, it says, Moreover, all the leaders of the Kohanim, the priests, and all the people, what did they do? They transgressed more and more. According to all the abominations of the nations, and defile the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. This is what was happening when Nebuchadnezzar completely raises R A Z E S, raises Jerusalem, takes everyone captive. It continues in verse 15 of 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Here's God trying to get their attention. And the Lord God of their fathers, what did he do? He sent warnings to them by his messengers, his prophets and others, rising up early and sending them. In other words, he was diligent about doing this, rising up early and sending them. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, here's what it says, though. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. They did that, it says, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. The idea is that the Lord's forbearance was great, but at a certain point, that was the end. There was no remedy anymore. They wouldn't listen. Did you notice what it says? They mocked the messengers of God. Do we have any of that going on in society right now? They despised his words. Do we have any of that going on in society? Yes, we do. And they scoffed at his prophets. Do we have that going on? Yes, we do. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Yes, friends, there are actions, attitudes, and ways that draw a positive response from the Lord. But there are also human actions, attitudes, and ways that do not lead to a positive divine response. Even in the context of the new covenant, Brit Chadashah, and in the context of grace that is pointed out so well in the new covenant, we realize that God and his, word and his ways are not to be trifled with. Some say, well, no, the new covenant gives us all this grace and everything. But I'll suggest to you that some of what we read in the new covenant is very heavy duty. Very heavy duty. For example, some of Yeshua's words, in fact, quite a few of them, left no gray area. Where it says, he who has the son, Yeshua, has life. He who does not have the son, <laughs> does not have life. There's no gray area there. Yeshua's I am statement, seven, maybe eight, depending on how you determine what an I am statement is. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the good shepherd, etc. No gray area there. These, that's who he is. Now, we should not, friends, we should not try to deceive God. We should not try to rob God. We should not try to 
trick God. We should not consider our wisdom greater than his wisdom. We should not do these things or our ways better than his ways. We should not do these things. Doing those type of things will not bring divine positive response. Nor should we deceive ourselves into thinking that he is unaware of the reality of our lives, as if he, he can't see what's going on. And he can't hear our words. Yeshua demonstrated in a very, very physical way. He demonstrated that closed doors, closed doors do not hinder him. He demonstrated that whispers and words spoken in secret and in the dark do not escape his hearing. He demonstrated that neither does hiding among the crowd. And in our sense in modern society, declaring, well, that, well Lord, everyone else is doing it, so it's got to be okay. The polls say that 95% of people say it's okay. You know what? What does God say? That's the bottom line. And the sooner we get that deep in our kishkis, deep in our inner being, that that's the important thing, the better for us. It's because he sees our need. It's because he hears the cry of our hearts. He's heard your cry. It's because he does all that he does due to his perfect love, his blameless love, his unblemished love, his pure love. It's because of these things extended towards us that we have a living hope. Yeshua, the risen Messiah, is our living hope. And my friends, he is coming back again at just the right time. We'll see if God can be deceived We'll see if our wisdom's greater than God's. We'll see if our ways are better than his ways. We'll see if our financial plan's better than his. We'll see if our approach to spirituality is better th than the things he recommends. Rapshaw Paul, he proclaimed the saving message of faith in Messiah Yeshua to his Jewish co-religionists and also to Greeks. For example, to the Greek named Titus, in Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were also once, and there's a long list here. Do you know Rapshaw, Paul the Apostle, loved lists? I like lists too. Anyone else like lists? I do. There are many lists that he gives, and Yeshua gives several lists too. But here's one. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Dayenu, that's quite a list. In verse 4, Titus chapter 3 says, but, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, are you glad for the kindness and love of God towards you today? But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Hallelujah. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal, the renewing of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Messiah Yeshua, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And later, the author of the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, 
he wrote quite a bit of stirring, challenging, and perspective-giving words in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews. But I want to reference this one in conclusion here. He wrote this in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 25. He wrote, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, that's really enough right there. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. You may experience in your life some things that God's removing from you. How many know what I'm talking about today? Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And God is doing some eternal work inside of you. It's important to do those good things that get his attention. It's important to not do those things that get his attention in the wrong way. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain in verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Those are strong words from the New Testament, aren't they? Our God is a consuming fire, quoting back from what the Tanakh says. Now, the Bible does not sugarcoat God or portray God as having changed in his power. In fact, it says clearly, I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. So the Bible doesn't sugarcoat God or portray God as having changed in his power or his nature or even his grandeur or might. Later in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, this is spelled out precisely. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, the author declares, and I would say with great boldness declares this. He says, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, is the same, say it with me, Yesterday, today, and forever. Let's say the whole verse together, please. Messiah Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, friends, let's honor him in our actions. Let's do those things that get God's attention in a good way. And let's jettison those things that would get God's attention in a not-so-constructive way. Will you pray with me? Lord, we praise you this day because you are great. Your love endures forever. Thank you for working with us mercifully, for changing our lives, convicting us, lead us leading us in the way everlasting. 
Lord, I pray that you will help us to do those things, not only the five that I mentioned, but the many others that are mentioned, to do those things that really do garner your attention in a positive way, and that we would get rid of those things that displease you. Thank you for each person here, Lord. Thank you for the good work you're doing in every life. Thank you, Lord, for the sincerity of faith, dedication, the wholehearted devotion that we have because you are good. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.